How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to your favorite podcast, favorite swim bait podcast, Scales and Tails, episode 63. And uh, we, we just had Miss Kara on. Uh, actually, I just got done recording that episode, so we're doing two tonight, but you guys will be hearing this like a while from now. So anyway, we are joined by a guy who uh, we're kicking it back to Texas. I don't think we've had a Texas guy on since we had Marshall on, and that's been a little while. It's been been a couple months. So we are joined by Mr. Grady Cod tonight. I'm sure you guys are fairly familiar with with who he is if you guys are on Instagram, but I will let Grady introduce himself and then we'll get right into it like we usually do. What's up, scales and tails? My name is Grady Cod. I'm happy to be here. So let's talk some fishing. Heck yeah, man. So getting getting right into it, I mean, how how did you get into the beloved sport of fishing? How did that start for you? Oh, I've been my whole life pretty much, man. I, my dad uh, got me into it at a real early age. He um, he's he fly fishes for a living, so you know he was doing trips when I was you know not even able to walk yet. And as soon as I was able to get out of the house, he started taking me with him and hitting stripers in the bay. And then as I got a little older, he'd take me to all his other destinations. And he ran a uh, uh, the saltwater department in a company called Frontiers Travel, which is a uh, fly fishing destination company uh, with lodges all over the world. So, yeah, <laughs> I was thrown right into it. And, um, you know, I just I enjoyed it. I don't think until I was probably like 10 or 11. It's probably when I decided, like, you know, I really like doing this. And then I started venturing into it on my own more. And then. I'd say by high school, I was pretty much full blown into it. And, uh, it's just spiraled out of control since then. So now it's all I do other than work. So I love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. So So yeah. Yeah. You started like you started, started like from a really young age, huh? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was thrown right into it. I mean, my dad had me worming a bobber for a couple of years and then he had me throwing a fly rod i mean he, he he got me into it good so um yeah like i said he he was the the main influence and obviously in school i started meeting friends that were into it as well and it just kept building and kept building and here we are today it's still building which is pretty wild it's the only a hobby i've ever had that I just don't seem to lose any traction or interest in. So, yeah, I love it. So, was fly fishing like your first true love as far as like how far fishing goes with you? Nah, I mean, I, I, I never really felt that I liked it any more or less than any other type of fishing. Um, it was kind of just something that I was raised in. So, there was a lot of roots in it. Um, but I've never been patient enough to make that my primary, uh, way to fish. It's, it takes a, a special breed of person to, to solely fly fish. And I'm not one of those breeds by any means. I like it, but yeah, I'd rather have a conventional rod in my hand, chucking big baits, I think than anything else. Um, if you guys haven't heard episode 30, when I had Eric uh, Gomez, Alec Weaker, and uh, and Jason Carroll on, Eric talks about when Leviathan first started, or like when when his first went to a show, he had talked about attending like a, a fly fishing show, 
And uh, and he talks about how he had to dress the part to sell stuff. He's like, if you were standing there like in a hoodie or whatever, you weren't selling anything. He's like, you had to be there in your cargo shorts and your your uh, your flip flops, and you had to have your hat on and everything. And he 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 tells a really cool story about that. But yeah, like as far as like fly fishing goes, that is like its own thing. I swear, like that is something completely different than than we, what we do. That's for sure. We actually had that same conversation. I actually got to meet him in person finally. Uh, about a month ago, went down and met him at his house and shot the shit in his garage for a while. And we were talking about the exact same thing, how, um, you know, fly fishing is its own deal, like to the extreme. And it's it's got a lot of ties to the swim bait world. Like it's a very clicky type of deal, you know. Yeah, people take great pride in, in being set apart from the rest of the fishing community in both fly fishing and swim baiting. Oh, parallels between the two uh, in a lot of ways. So yeah, it's it's yeah. odd. That's for sure. It's it's weird. Uh, it's it's weird to look at it and then to hear somebody say, "Oh, they're the same as the swim bait guys." Because all the swim baiter guys are like, "No, no, those guys are those guys are all stuck up. We're like super gritty. All this like those yeah. are granola guys." And it's like, ah, not really, dude. Like, yeah, exactly. The exact same thing, man. There's such a hierarchy in the in the swim bait world as well, which is unfortunate. A lot of people let it get to their heads and. It's interesting to say the least, but you know, I think it's it's cool. It, it gives a lot of people some sort of you know sense of purpose and community, and they just kind of feel like they fit right in. So that's that's kind of a cool bit about it, you know. Because with n- normal bass fishing or just fishing in general, it's not it's kind of hard to set yourself apart. And when you're out doing fly fishing or swim baiting, you are kind of like the outlier. So I get it, but. Yeah, I think some people let it <laughs> go to their head a little bit too much, for sure. Some people take it way too far. So yeah, dude. Uh, so fishing, though. So right. When did barrel. you when did you get into bass fishing? How did that start? Oh, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess as soon as I started fishing, I mean, the first fish I think I caught was a striper and then you know when you're a kid and you're just worming bobber on the bank or just fishing with your friends that you're always going to catch bass no matter what you're fishing for you always seem to catch a bass and you start finding bigger fish in certain areas and you know it bass fishing was never a sole focus of mine um it is now but it's not like I don't I don't like to classify myself as a bass fisherman necessarily. Um, but, you know, it's that species you have the most access to bass out of anything by a mile. They're everywhere. You know, so I, I actually grew up on the East Coast and I was born in Maine, um, lived there for the first six, seven years of my life, and then grew up until senior year of high school in Pennsylvania, um, just north of Pittsburgh in a little farm town. And, uh, you know, every single pond, river, stream, whatever, there's, there's bass in them. So um, if you just wanted to get out with your friends and go fishing, that's, you know, after, before school, whatever. Bass were always there. So it just kind of became something you did until I moved to Arizona. And then I was like, you know, there's not a whole lot in Arizona other than bass and some high mountain trout. and Yeah. 
we had those big bass and i was like damn that's i had always seen you know the the swim bait guys butch brown and robbie aparicio like all those dudes catching just monster bass on the west coast so when i moved to arizona i was like i gotta i gotta try my hand at that so that's when bass fishing became a lot more of a prominent aspect of my life was when i moved to arizona what year did you move to arizona oh 2012 i believe right yeah i graduated 2012 so yeah right around there so was swim baiting uh trying to think of the word here maybe not necessarily popular but was it a new thing in arizona or had guys been doing it there for a while already there was a handful of guys that had been doing it you know in the glory years out there um you know like my buddy justin c really good friend of mine he um he was kind of my mentor out there and he was one of the original guys doing it um so he was he was there your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blanks. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. for the the real glory years you know the early 2000s and late 1990s and um other than him ron kasner and a handful of other you know people that just don't do social media like i i didn't hear a ton of it you know i had researched arizona a lot you know before i moved out there i was like all right i gotta see what caliber of fish there are i want to see some videos i want to see some guys throwing swim baits i want to I just want to see something to make me confident about, you know, catching a big fish here. And there was like nothing when I moved there. There was so few pictures online, videos, anything when I moved out there. Uh, so I really didn't know what it, what I had in front of me until probably the first three years. Eh, two or three years went by and started seeing some serious fish being caught by Kasner and Justin and a couple other people that had just gotten into it around the time that I had out there. Yeah. Um, and man it lit a fire under me tell you what i started seeing this is before i really met justin i would just bump into him on the lake and uh you know i've told people this story many times like i had just caught my first eight pounder um at canyon lake in arizona and i was so stoked about it and we're in the marina and i think i just let it go and uh justin comes around in his boat and he shows he's like hey how you doing I'm like oh good i just caught an eight pounder i'm stoked it's my biggest bass ever he's like oh you want to see a really big one i was like oh yeah so he pulls this fish out of his live well and it's like an eight and a half i'm like good god that's a big fish and uh he looks at me he's like oh that's the little one i was like oh and he pulls oh, the back in the live well and he pulls out a 12 and a half and at that time i had never seen a bass that big in person to this day, I think I've only seen two in person that size. And, uh, yeah, he pulled that out, and I was just blown away. I think that's really what just lit a fire under me. Like I said, I 
saw that fish and I was like, wow, those things are here in the lake that I'm fishing that I get to fish whenever I want. Like I yeah. live here, I can catch a fish like that someday. <laughs> and so, yeah, after I saw that fish um, and kind of learned more about the whole trout stocking thing, I really knew like if I played my cards right, I could catch one of those fish. I could catch one bigger than that. You know, the fucking state record was 16 or something like that. So I knew that fish existed like that. It was just a matter of learning how to access them and then tricking them, which is still the hardest part. But yeah, so not a lot of guys doing it when I first moved there. Um, when I left, there was a lot of guys doing it. And now there are more than ever. So it's a it's a tough sport to be in nowadays for sure yeah dude so did you catch that eight on a swim bait or had you not really known what they were gotten into them yet nope i had not caught i don't think i had caught a swim bait bass over like six pounds out of there at that point um i still wasn't full on into the swim bait thing at that point yeah um I caught that fish on a jig. She was nesting. She was actually a bed fish. And I saw her and I was like, man, that's the biggest bass I've ever seen in the water. Like, go catch I'll it. Flip a jig on. So I, I did. And then I caught her. And, you know, after that, um, that I think that was yeah, around the spawn. And I don't think I got into swim baits too much until that, that fall later that year. Um, Cause it's just not a, I guess at the time I didn't know you could really catch them on swim baits that well um, during the summer. I really thought it was uh, you got to fish during the winter during the trout stocking, right? And right. Obviously that wasn't the case, but you know that fall is when I transitioned. I remember I was in college, dirt poor. Um, I had seen Justin and Ron catching these giant bass. I believe Manny was guiding out there at the time too. I had seen him doing it and I was like, I gotta, I gotta put down all this conventional shit and pick up a swim bait and just do it. So I being the poor college kid, I was sold everything that I owned fishing related and then used that money to buy a swim bait set up, you know, a reel line rod, and then a handful of baits that were proven baits, swim bait underground, uh, was around at that time it was the early days of swim bait underground um so i was on there just browsing and looking at what everyone was catching them on you know i think i bought four or five of the the best baits i could afford and then just spent that next four years probably not really throwing conventional just out there trying to figure it out with a swim bait and it took a while to to learn i mean it was a big learning curve so you know i had caught a lot of good good bass back on the east coast musky fishing on on big musky baits so i knew that it wasn't out of the ordinary to catch them on something that big so i just went for it put my head down and chucked swim baits as much as i could till i started learning when and why and all that fun stuff yeah so was that around, was that like the Arizona glory days of the 250 in the HUD or what were, what were those couple baits that guys were fishing and what were those baits you had bought? Oh yeah. The Huddleston was definitely the one. 
Um, I mean, to this day, it was that the 250 hadn't gained a ton of traction yet at that point. So I think they were still pretty hard to find, hard to come by. Yeah. Um, so I had, <laughs> yeah, literally, <laughs> probably had a good third of them. Um, but yeah, I think I grabbed a Gancraft 230. I had a HUD. I had like some Savage Gear baits, some of those early trout baits. Um, and I think the, yeah, the Gancraft is what I started catching fish on. If I'm remembering that right. And the HUD, for whatever reason, I, I could never get bit those first few years on it. That was something I didn't learn for quite a while is how to properly fish a HUD and fish deeper water. I mean, I, I was so naive to electronics and, and deeper water fishing that Huddleston, I don't think ever did me any good until I started applying those skill sets. So, but yeah, that, that Gancraft, I, caught my first few good fish out of arizona on that and then um you know it just kept building it's like sell this bait get this bait the 250 got yeah. a 250 it was a shitty color got a better color started catching fish started fishing baits differently it just slowly you know it's a learning curve i mean that that's all it is so it, it took some serious time especially being in college and being poor not having a boat not being able to really being control of much when I fished and how I fished, whatever, always backseating. So once uh, me and my buddy John Colosio got a boat, we uh, we went out and really started picking that lake apart together. And he'd let me take the boat out by myself and started, you know, I had three three classes a week or something like that, so I could kind of take other days off and just go spend them on the lake picking it apart. And I did. It was just once things started clicking, fish started getting in the boat, and it's it's still that way today. It's always a, it's always a puzzle that you're piecing together for sure. Yeah, dude, really. Those first couple of fish you caught on like the two thirty, did you was it just blind casting or did I mean were guys then like doc talking like you'd be at the ramp and you'd be like oh like uh, how how are you guys catching your fish today or was it pretty was it pretty tight lipped and you were, you kind of just stumbled upon some fish off the bat? It uh, was a mixture of both for sure. I mean, I always knew that you should be targeting the specific structure, whether it be main lake points or humps or rock walls. So it was just a matter of going out and covering water and putting your time in was the biggest component. But obviously you meet people and they, they give you tidbits of information and you, go off of that some of them transpire into good things some of them never work out for anything um the first double digit i caught out there was one of the days i was out there on my own and i had been trying for months to catch one on the batesmith magnum um because my buddy john he was the first one to catch a nine pounder out of that boat he caught it on the mag and it was crazy. I mean, the thing completely inhaled it, like swallowed it. And that fish, I think, was what really made me realize, like, hey, if you put this this type of bait in this type of scenario, like, that could happen. So I started going out there and doing that and 
God, it took a while to to learn how to when to set the hook and where to be throwing it. Um, but yeah, once I did, I the first double digit. I mean, it's unofficial I'll, to this day. I'll still call it a double digit. I know it was a double digit, but yeah. she. Um, I was I was hardcore in college. Like I was young and thirsty, dude. I wanted big fish so bad. So I was out there three days at a time, like camping in my truck, camping on the dock, camping at the campground, whatever. So that night there was this floating dock. They had removed the bridge to and anchored it out in the middle of this cove. And I had fished the night before. And then I tied my boat up on that floating dock and set up my little bed and slept on this little floating Island thing. And three times throughout the night, I heard this fish just crushing these trout up on the bank in the middle of the night. And I went over and made a couple casts at her. Nothing happened. Went back. I was like, I'm going to get up. Perfect timing in the morning. I'm going to position myself right there and I'm going to catch that fish. That's been waking me up all night. And, uh, I took that Magnum in the morning, right around first light between first light and sunrise and set up downwind of that, that little ledge she was on and chucked that bait out there. That first cast, I nailed her. Um, and that, that was the fish that just, everything started making sense to me. And, uh, it was all uphill from there. So. Damn dude. Was it like the classic, I'm, not necessarily classic, but the stuff you see on YouTube as far as fishing, like those big rock bluff walls and your parallel cast into it and they'll come out like out of those holes and stuff or kind of what's like Arizona fishing in a nutshell, nutshell for guys like myself who have never experienced anything like that. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge part of it was fishing bluff walls. I, I never did a ton of it. Um, that was like Manny's thing for sure. Um, we always kind of saw that as a, a good way to catch fish, but not necessarily a good way to catch like the fish that we're looking for. Like that, that was always a technique that you did to, to go smash a six, seven, eight pounder. But we knew where those big fish were and why they were there. I mean, the ones that were eating trout never set up on that quite the way they did out on ledges and the humps and the points on the main lake which is if you just look at it with your eyes you don't really notice it right it's something you have to kind of feel with your bait dragging it down there find where the big boulder clumps are like that offshore stuff is where those big big fish were and in the marina right the marina in every lake has got the biggest bass in it like yeah by a mile (laughs) almost every single lake i've been to that's the case um so we always focused our attention there and fishing soft baits in the winter like we didn't fish a ton of glides once we started with the magnum and realizing its potential and i believe that's why my buddy john and i and got my buddy mike williams and ricky like they the people yeah like we were the ones that were catching like substantial fish and having chances at these fish that were in the teen class. Like I never heard stories from the people fishing the rock walls and stuff like that, not to take away from what they do or anything like it, they were crushing them and they've caught big fish doing it. But all the stories 
from Justin back in the day, like everything pointed to fishing this offshore structure with a soft bait. Like that, that's where all stories were from. Like all these giant, giant bass that you heard of in Arizona, it always related something, something between the marina and those, those, that was the thing about the lake I fished Canyon. I mean, it's small. So there was only like five good humps or points like everyone knew where they were it was just it it took a different level of patience to to fish that way right because you're it's not as fun as fishing structure with a glide bait by any means right target casting and paralleling and watching glides and followers and fish crush your bait like that's always going to be way cooler than just dragging a soft bait out in the middle of nowhere and just waiting for one to bite it. Like, you know, it's, so it's, it's a, it, it's boring (laughs) in that sense, but it was always like, you know, pretty well known that that was how we were going to catch the biggest fish of our life. So that's what we did. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to just go catch one, you pick up a glide and go burn bank, fish the bluff wall. If you want to take someone to see some badass scenery, you go up in the canyon and do the same thing. You fish the bluff walls, like, because it's gorgeous. Like, it's just a way more exciting way to fish for sure. But yeah, the big was, fish, nah. Was uh, w- were bites being burned out there? Like, because it sounds like a lot of guys uh, fished. Maybe not necessarily this lake, but just like around. Um, did, I mean, did people know when guys like, oh, so and so caught uh, a nine nine fourteen yesterday? Like, maybe maybe we should uh, go go out there and and, and fish this because I think that's what he was doing. Or was it still kind of a notable thing and guys were looking for their own bites? Um, God, I, I don't really know. I I'm not. I don't have a ton of memories of anyone ever really like blasting the information out there until YouTube became such a prominent thing Um, but even then got the thing with like the offshore stuff was once that started getting popular like when manny started fishing soft baits and going offshore and his clients were coming out and filming videos doing this and gilbert started coming out filming doing that like those offshore spots started seeing a lot more pressure um which obviously played a huge role in the decline of the fishing there. Um, but in the end, it didn't matter because the lake was going to die. So like, it just got, you know, tougher and tougher to catch big fish and then they died. So like it, it wasn't really, eh, it never really made a difference because in the end that lake was doomed. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll say what, this was like 2016 ish we'll say, or a little bit later than that. What, when the algae started? No, no, like just when you guys started to figure out this offshore bite and stuff. Oh, yeah, like probably 20, the end of 2014. And then 2016 was the peak of it. That's when I caught uh, all but two, no, all but one of my double digits were in 2016. So um, how did you guys find these? Like was side scan out then or were you guys ske- or were you guys like uh, oh, yeah. uh topo topograph yeah, that all, all that all that technology was out there. We just didn't have it. We didn't have that uh 
leisure of having electronic. We we had just a shitty little boat and uh, time on our hands, and we just went out. And uh, I've told people before, like, the best way that we could have learned it was the way that we did learn it, which was tying on a HUD or a mag and just, like, throwing it out, letting it hit bottom, and then slow crawling it back and you could feel where the lake came up where it got shallower where it dipped down you could find the ledges and you just do that enough and you started you had like a map in your brain right of all the different structures that are are down there god if we had side scan or any graph for that matter the damage we could have done would have been (laughs) a lot greater because we did all of that with nothing so yeah. we was all instincts and just memorizing everything we could, putting the pieces together. So honestly, in hindsight, it's pretty shocking that we caught the fish that we did at all, <laughs> but we did. So yeah. So elaborate a little bit. It sounds like 2016 was really the year that you guys dropped the hammer on them. At least from your point of view, like that's when. You said you caught a lot of your big fish. What did that year set up like? Was it special, or did you just kind of know what you were doing and you guys were dialed? Oh, uh, it was. We were dialed for sure. I, I wouldn't say we were as dialed as some people probably were out there. Um, but we put our time in. We knew where the big fish were, and we stuck to what we knew worked. And that's what ultimately put the fish in the boat. But dude, that lake in 2016 was that it's absolute healthiest i mean it was unbelievable the ecosystem that had developed in that lake by 2016 everything had come together that that lake had been working for for so long i mean it had died off in 2004 uh damn near everything died off somewhere around 80 to 90 percent Oh, the population had died, so they had restocked it. Um, my buddy Justin over at Big Fish Bullies was actually one of the original guys back then to stock it again. They had anglers go out and dump barrels of, of baby largemouth in to restock the lake. And uh, those, they were F1 strain, you know, hybrid bass, uh, northern yep. strain, Florida strain hybrid. And those fish grew exponentially. I mean, at rates that are just phenomenal i think they were growing to two pounds in their first year four pounds by their second um so they were in 2016 all those fish were just huge and were being fed well and the lake was just perfect it had hydrilla no algae it was just clean they had so much to eat there wasn't there was a lot of pressure because it's such a small lake um, and there's not a lot of water in arizona but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, they weren't getting hammered like they yeah. are now, at least, but it's, uh, yeah, that, that lake just peaked. And I think 2016 was its peak for sure. I mean, everything was there. Every, everyone was smashing them in 2016. Um, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of guys you talk to out there that were out putting the time in, I'll tell you, that's probably the best year they've seen out there. Um, so it was a mixture of, of dialing everything in and then being there at the right time. I mean, it it was crazy. Just 2016 to 2017, how much that lake changed. Uh, and then to look at it now, fuck. Sad. 
Yeah, two things. Um, the natural forage is it all just kind of what bluegill? Or like, is there tilapia out there? Is it all just bluegill and then the trout stockings and stuff? Or what, what was it like out there? And baby carp, bluegill, gizzard shad, threadfin shad, tilapia. Wow. Fucking baby bass. Absolutely. It's they had, yeah crayfish galore. They, there was no shortage of food. They were just gorging. That's why we had these fish that Mike Gilbert, he coined them micro teeners. Like you'd be catching fish that were 16, 17 inches and weighing six pounds. You know, they were just so, so healthy. Yeah. Um, That's how how our Northern fish are, especially the ones like in Lake Michigan. I've caught a lot of 17, 18 fish that are sitting right on that brink of 4.10 4.10 to 5, like 5.2, five like those fish are literal blimps. It's just like a meatball of a fish. Right, yeah, and it was it was transferring to the fish in the 25-inch class too. So 2016 was the year where if anyone was going to catch that 19, 20-pounder, it would have been then because they were there. I, I had seen them. A lot of us had seen fish like of just ridiculous proportions. So. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. So were you guys, like that year sounds like it was so good. Were you just fishing to fish or were you guys chasing like moon phases or were you guys just out there slinging baits and catching fish? It didn't matter when it was. Oh, I had buddies that were out there always chasing like the best times to be out there. And it, I still don't have that luxury. You know, it's right. Yeah, it's cool. I didn't have that luxury. You fish when you can fish, and when you work, you you got to fish when you can fish. So, yeah, I had buddies that didn't really have jobs that were just you know tournament fishermen or whatever, and they had a lot more freedom to be out there when they wanted to be out there. And yeah, those dudes were catching them really, really good. Um, yeah, I, like I said, it, it's crazy to think going back if if I could time travel with even the boat and the electronics and the knowledge and everything that I have now go back in 2016 and fish Canyon, it's just scary to think about the fish that I could have caught. Um, but obviously you can't do that. So move on to the next one. So you had, you had touched on the, the algae bloom. Was that like the great downfall? It seems like out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that whole Salt River system, um, Apache Lake, Canyon Lake, and then Saguaro Lake at the bottom. Uh, the algae started again in 2017. Um, and it, the biggest issue is that it bloomed every year in the spring, starting in 2017 until this year. I, I don't think they had it this year. But uh, every spring for the last five years or so, it's been there when the bass want to go up and spawn and their instincts are driving them shallow and that algae affects the first 20 feet of the water column the heaviest so all those fish in that you know zero to 20 feet are just getting decimated um i think there were classes of fish in there still that remember the algae and the danger and the the presence of it and those fish survive they know to go deep and not come back up until that algae clears out but yeah yeah 27 started and it just got worse every year um you get 
flurries of good fishing in certain areas of the lake. Uh, but what it what it did is it just completely changed the whole ecosystem. I mean, down to its core. So the way the fish react with their environment changed a lot, which means none of the spots that were good uh, before the algae were any good during the algae. I mean, because the fish had to adapt. Yeah. And move off offshore. And a lot of them, my theory is, the majority of them became pelagic fish, meaning they never set up anywhere, really. They just cruised. And that was something I, I noticed from 2017 until last year. I mean, I just, you, you just catch them randomly in random spots, and you'd never catch them there again. You'd find them in another spot the next day, and you'd watch them on your sonar, and they'd swim underneath you, and then be gone, and you wouldn't see them again in that spot all day. I think they just... I think because of the low oxygen in the water, they had to, like stripers, they have to keep swimming to keep right. breathing. They have to yeah. keep fresh water going through their gills. Uh, so they, I, that's my theory. I think most of them that survived became pelagic, and that's why you see no one catching anything out of those lakes at all. And then randomly you'll see a guy with like a 12-pounder, and it's just it's insane um, how sparse they are now so right the the way you had to fish the lake changed the way the fish reacted everything just went to shit in 2017 sucks yeah you will have to excuse my uh my geography idiosity is is canyon lake is there a dam anywhere is there a river that flows into it or how did this algae get introduced like somebody didn't clean off their boat from fishing another lake or, or does nobody really know did it just kind of happen like an algae bloom uh i'm not sure the original cause of it i know the first one in 2004 coincidentally followed uh a cleaning so basically the canyon lake is part of the salt river chain of lakes so there's roosevelt lake is the giant lake up at the top that feeds into the salt river the salt salt river comes out of the dam at roosevelt goes down turns into apache lake at the next dam <clears throat> and then underneath apache is canyon and then it's dammed up and then underneath that dam is saguaro and then it trickles out into the salt river again so they're all connected um the the odd coincidence with the first die off in 2004 was related to they they had basically cleaned like a full deep clean of the dam at Roosevelt. Okay. Um, and then they let a ton of water out because Roosevelt had filled up so much from the dam not being like running, right? Running open, yeah. So what I've been told is they let out just astronomical amounts of water all at once from Roosevelt down into Apache, down into Canyon, down into Saguaro. And... I talked to a biologist recently out here in Texas, actually, that's familiar with golden algae and has researched it for a long time. Um, And it sounds like a lot of what triggers it is a temperature change, whether it be too slow of a temperature change or too quick of a temperature change. So I have no idea, (laughs) full disclosure, but it sounds like all that cold water being dumped in droves out of the dam 
in 2004 because it it happened right after that. It sounds yeah. like that caused it. What happened in 2017? I have no idea what caused it. Um, it could have been that the 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 transition took too long from winter to mm-hmm. summer. Yeah, and that, that water temperature stayed the same temperature for too long. Uh, that's a possibility, but I don't know what. There's no real way to say what caused it. Um, but either way, it it stayed pretty rampant in those lakes for the last five years. So it and changed so, everything. All the grass is gone, which is one of the hardest parts about that. Yeah. And that was where you caught a lot of fish was in the grass and we never got the grass back in the lakes after that first bloom. So shitty. Yeah. Has Arizona fish and game, like, are they, are they pretty good out there? Like you hear some, some States, they have absolute horror stories of, Oh, our fish and game only cares about the deer population or what, what is it like out there for, for Arizona? No, they're, they're pretty they're pretty lame in Arizona. They didn't do shit for <laughs> a long time. I, I'm pissed. I mean, they, they I don't, I don't remember them even trying to do anything during that oh, whole shit. course. I mean, they, it's insane, dude. Moving to Texas, like looking at everything they do out here now, it's like holy shit. If, right. If Arizona had applied a quarter of the effort that Texas is putting into these lakes, like, Oh my God, the fish you would have seen coming out of Arizona would have been, uh, headline news. Like that, that place in 2016 had gotten to one of the healthiest ecosystems I have ever seen without hardly any help from the state. I mean, it just flourished. Had the state been doing anything, you know, (laughs) like, God, that lake could have, yeah, some shit could have come out of there. Damn, dude. Um, one thing I want to touch on is like, it's kind of slept on, but I know some guys like Arizona has has a decent amount of of like, uh, is is it tiger muskie? Is that what it is? In Arizona? Yeah. No. I, I maybe I'm thinking of somewhere else. Is there like anything else other than bass out there that guys like chase? That's kind of a predator fish, or is, is bass like top dog? Flathead. Yeah, flathead catfish. That was something I got into pretty big the last few years I lived there. Um, that's a badass predatory fish. They won my heart over pretty quickly when I started fishing for them. They you just catch them all the time on huds and mags and swim baits because they eat just as many trout as the bass do. I mean, the flathead are predatory catfish you know they don't really eat dead shit or at yeah, least they right. did lakes they hunted their prey so um but yeah they did stock tiger muskies up in some random little pond in northern arizona uh, a couple years I, ago right on. i don't remember why uh <laughs> but they're like they're they just put like fingerlings in there they're teeny tiny there might be some 20 inches now i'm not sure 25 inches um but yeah i mean utah new mexico there's tiger muskies in the surrounding states of arizona okay. so maybe I'm, maybe i'm thinking of new mexico then that i knew it was somewhere down there like somewhere where i would not think there was like musky that that's where it was so new mexico sounds about right <laughs> oh yeah yeah i caught a lot of big muskies out of utah and new mexico i mean they're just amazing critters really cool fish so i love them 
was was that a bite that like a lot of guys were doing or was that something that was kind of low key uh it's pretty low key i never told anybody about um there'd be the occasional loud mouth that would go out there and come back and post it on arizona fishing forums like oh you guys got to drive over here and go fish tiger muskies like, man shut up like we don't need any more pressure out there <laughs> but, yeah right you know, it was it was a, a really cool experience because i grew up musky fishing that was my primary focus when i lived in pennsylvania so to be able to drive six hours seven hours and go fish from arizona is pretty unique so uh, it kept me semi-sane while i lived out there because musky fishing is just way more fun than bass fishing by a by a mile so <laughs> yeah, yeah i believe that shame that we don't have them in texas i tell you that much yeah, which that, that's a perfect way to segment. So when did you move to Texas from Arizona? When did that happen? Oh, last April. Well, last like January, I started, my girlfriend and I were talking about moving to Texas for a while just because Arizona had become, the whole state just got real weird. California just flooded in there and it became yeah. overpopulated. And everything started going to shit, so... And once the lakes died, I was like, man, I, I was driving three to the best lake I could find every every single tip. I was driving three or four hours to water that wasn't completely dead, um, which got old quickly, you know, doing eight hours, seven hours of driving to go fishing. It's like, ugh. so we'd been talking about Texas for a while. And after the pandemic, I started working from home. Uh, she was able to transfer jobs. So. She was just like, let's go to Texas now. And I was like, oh, I can't. I got to work. So like, you work from home. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I just talked to my boss and he was like, yeah, sure. So we flew out here and looked at houses. And in April, we bought this house and uh, we just packed everything up, sold the boat, moved out here, bought a new boat. Now we're good. Hell yeah, dude. What uh, what? Is the fishing like kind of seem any different than what it was like in Arizona? Oh yeah, yeah, it's way different. I mean, first of all, like the best part about living here is that there's water everywhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> My closest lake was an hour and fifteen minutes away. So, I right now I live on Eagle Mountain Lake. I mean, I'd be in the water in three minutes, and then if I don't want to fish there, just go to any of the other ones within twenty minutes of here. So, to be able to fish whenever is the coolest part um but yeah it's it fishes i'm in north texas which i think is a big a big uh change from like austin like down there that's i didn't really know that until i lived here for a bit but like the swim baiting up this way is um quite a bit tougher because we got muddier water a lot more shallow fish a lot colder water it's like a lot colder up here than it is just a few hours south of here so um where i live right now the swim bait like the lakes immediately around me within a half an hour like none of them are really good lakes to go chuck a swim bait on like the lake i live on i i i don't even bring a swim bait like ever like you can't catch them on a swim bait out of this lake um so there's a lot of conventional fishing lakes around here for sure 
which is fine because I absolutely love just, you know, normal bass fishing. I love catching them on a jig and flipping a frog. So these lakes are good for that, which I'm perfectly happy with. And I can go swim bait lakes within an hour and a half from here, which isn't that bad. It's what I was doing in Arizona anyways. Um, so the the way these lakes lay out and the way the fish interact with their environment is way different like the lake right here is i mean they're all shallower right all these lakes out here are relatively shallow like they max out at like 40 50 feet um most of them and that's really interesting to me because in arizona where i cut my teeth those lakes were all 100 foot reservoirs easily um clear water a different structure for sure uh in this lake that i live on i mean it's shallow muddy and for whatever reason on this particular lake like i have not caught one yet deeper than six feet of water like they just live shallow all year long like <laughs> the last last time i was out there i caught like a six and a half pounder and you know, she was in a foot of water middle of the day um, in the winter, which is odd to me coming from Arizona. Like, you don't catch a fish in less than 30 feet of water in the winter <laughs> in January in Arizona. Like, that's not a thing. Um, you fish real deep. So it's kind of odd I'm trying to wrap my head around a lot of things living here. Like, the way these fish are, it's just different. Um, so there's a big learning curve for sure. I have a couple lakes that lay out pretty similar to my Arizona lakes. So I focus a lot of my swim bait effort on those lakes uh, because some of the knowledge transfers over, right? There's, you can still catch them on offshore points and humps. You can catch them on rock walls and all that fun stuff in the summer. So those lakes, I can really take my Arizona knowledge and apply it there, um, which is great. But a lot of these lakes, I'm still still trying to learn that's the other thing man so many lakes it is overwhelming like trying to put your head down and learn one because yeah yeah there's just so many lakes i've been here a year now almost and god i've probably only fished uh less than a quarter of the lakes within an hour of me i mean there's just too much water <laughs> i don't know what to do with myself <laughs> yeah those, those lakes that have that you've been able to find in kind of replicate the Arizona spots you used to fish to a scale have are those fish kind of set up the same way or have you kind of had to like relearn everything but you just kind of had a little bit of base knowledge whereas um out in Arizona you can just go out there and catch them they lay out similar um but the difference is like in Arizona my lakes for the most part, I can count on one hand the spots I know I'm going to catch them. Like, yep. they're going to be either in the marina, they're going to be on the point coming out of the marina, they're going to be in Boulder, they're going to be somewhere on the roadbed, or they're going to be back in Tortilla Creek, right? Like, it, I can almost always do my milk run, hit those five spots within five hours, hit them hard and and know that i'm in front of fish but here holy shit 
Like, dude, that's the other thing I didn't realize moving out here. These lakes are huge. Like, way bigger than my lakes in Arizona. Like, by so much. It's another really overwhelming part of, of trying to learn these lakes is, I mean, the main lake that I swim bait fish on, I am sure in the last year, I've probably only hit 11, 12% of that lake. I mean, there's so much I haven't even gotten to fish yet. It's insane. So when fish move, which they are doing constantly with the changing of weather and like right now, I only have one spot where I know I can go get a bite on a swim bait on that entire lake. But I know that there's like 10 other spots I could go catch them on that lake. I just don't know where they are yet. Like it takes so much time to go out there and learn these lakes for yourself. Now I could probably send a dozen DMs out there to people that fish those lakes as well and do well and be like, hey, would you hook me up with some waypoints? And then I could probably go do better. But I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm very against doing that shit. Like, <laughs> because as someone who knows how much time it takes to find fish, yeah, someone DMs me and asks me for waypoint, I'm not going to give it to them. <laughs> right. And if I, yeah, if I see a DM like that, I'm going to be like, no, oh, what a dirtbag thing to say. Like, go figure <laughs> it out. Like, yeah. our, it's insane how much work I, I caught. I don't know, half a dozen fish that were seven to eight pounds um, in the fall. And it took me two and a half months to find those fish. They're gone now, but like it took me a lot of gas, a lot of time, a lot of work and a lot of skunk trips to find those fish. So yeah, it's just a lot of work to find them. It's, it's just something that's going to come with time. You know, I, I just got to put my time in and, and keep my notes drop waypoints and hope that that's what they do next year. And then I should be fine. But that's, yeah. that's the, the biggest part about moving here is it is just a different beast, man. These lakes are massive. So it's a lot of work finding them. But once you do, man, they're pretty freaking apt to bite. Like, yeah, compared to Arizona in its final years, these fish are still catchable, you know, like that's, those yeah. Arizona fish got so smart. You couldn't get near them with a boat. God yeah. forbid get to eat your bait. So <laughs> that, That's what I was going to ask you was, what are the electronics you have on your boat? And that was, I mean, you kind of answered it already. Is it harder to find the fish or is it harder to get those fish to eat once you do find them? Um, I mean, I have live scope and side imaging, down scan, all that fun stuff. Um, so I can find fish and learn spots quite a bit easier, um, or at least learn spots. Finding fish is weird. Live scope in Texas, at least the lakes I fish is extremely deceiving because these lakes have got so many different species of fish in them that it is so hard to tell when you're looking at bass or not. Like, the only time you can say for sure is when you see a school of shad and you watch a mark come blasting up through them. Then you're like, okay, yeah, those are those are probably largemouth, right? But there's wipers, there's white bass, there's stripers, there's freshwater drum, there's buffalo, there's carp, channels, blues, flatheads. 
there are so many goddamn critters in these lakes that like your live scope, it looks like you're looking at schools of bass all the time. Yeah. And 90% of the time, I don't think they're bass at all. So the live scope thing, yeah, it it is kind of hard to get yourself to stare at it out yeah. here because you'll just yeah. be casting it carp all day long. <laughs> yeah, you're finding fish, but you don't know what those fish are. Yeah, they're... I, Dude, I'm telling you, 90% of the time, they are not bass. There's just so many different species of fish in these lakes. Um, there's certain lakes, like, you go out to OHIV and stuff, you see something on the screen, there's a good chance it's a big bass, right? Yeah. yeah. That lake, you can pretty much tell. Um, but, yeah, the lakes I fish, there's so many different species. I, I don't even, I try not to even look at that screen. I, I use it mostly to uh, kind of read contours and yeah, find yeah. out where to line up my casts on points and stuff like that. Um, and to find brush piles, you know, find some trees offshore. Like it's yeah. really, really helpful having it um, to break down all this new water for sure. So, right. Have have you gone out and fished OH Ivy just to say that you you did, or have you not tangled with that beast yet? Yeah, I went uh, like a month and a half ago. I went out there on a cold snap, and it was um, really tough, man. I don't know if I think we had kind of hit it wrong, but that's another lake. It's like the dudes you're seeing out there catching them like consistently are guides that fish it all the time yeah or some sort of influencer that someone gave waypoints to like a lot lot of people that go out there and catch a good one like on their first trip out there someone gave them like a spot to hit because it's it's a needle in a haystack lake this lake is huge and it's all flooded salt cedar trees and there's yep. just so many places they could be. So, of course, we went out there. We didn't ask anyone because we, we just don't do that shit. Yeah. But we, uh, yeah, we went out there and, and just spent two or three days just kind of picking it apart. And we got our asses kicked. I mean, we caught some fish here and there. And as always, we found where the good fish were on the very last hour of the last day. <laughs> so... We didn't get a ton of time on the fish that we wanted to be fishing for. I had one shot at a fish. I think was probably a double digit. I mean, she was just—it was kind of weird. She was sitting right underneath the surface in like 17 feet of water. It was glass calm. The sun was right above us. I saw her on the live scope. And I was like, "That's a giant. I'm yeah. gonna throw at it." But there is not a chance in hell that that fish is gonna bite. Like, these are the worst conditions for a big fish to bite ever. And I threw my A-rig over her head, swam it above her, and she just shot vertical up and smashed the shit out of it. Like, she'd never seen one in her entire life. No um, shit. Oh, yeah. And she just blasted it right out of the water, and I saw her, and she just didn't get hooked. She tried to eat the whole A-rig, you know, so she didn't. Yeah. Like, had that fish slowly turned around and then come up behind it and grab that bait in the back, I would have caught it. 100%. I would have caught that fish. For sure, yeah. Yeah, but she tried. She just went vertical and tried to eat the entire A-rig, so she didn't get any of the hooks. I mean, which is also kind of surprising, but what at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. That lake's genetics, man. God, we found like a 13-pounder floating, like right away. 
gosh, just that's crazy. Floating around. I was like, God, if the genetics are out of control. But that was that cool was about the state. That was that was one of those influencers caught and uh, it bellied up after they, they let her go and in parentheses let her go and didn't let Cheryl longer take him. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened. She could have just died from old age for all I know, but it was uh it was a big fish. That they're all through there. The cool thing is, I mean, there's other lakes out here that people aren't so familiar with, I'm sure, right. that have big type of fish in them. So it's just a matter of finding it, dude. I got to put my time in. Like I said, there's a lot of water and they're all big lakes. So I'm trying not to be too hard on myself. I'm, I, it's hard not to be because it's like when you live out here and you see all the fish these people are catching, it's just like, oh, why am I not catching those fish? Yeah. It's like, yeah. You gotta remind yourself that, or I have to remind myself that I'm, I'm new and I have a lot to learn. I have to put quite a bit of work in to earn my, my spot at the top of the leaderboard. So that's what I'm doing, man. I got a million things going on, but fishing's one of them. So putting as much time uh, as I can. Yeah. Matt Streichel. So SB TV fishing, um, went down, went down down to OH for like two weeks, dude. And I, I, him and I talk a a little bit every once in a while. And I, I message him every couple of days. I'm like, Oh, how's it doing? And, he caught a, he caught a good one out of there, but he, like even like uh, Perrick and uh, Grant and Lake Fork fishing guy or whatever the hell his name is, I can't remember. There was a lot of guys out there that fished with them for probably like a two, three, four day stint, and like they they were not catching like any fish last week. And I had Grant on the podcast last Thursday, and he was on his way home from OH, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, dude," he's like, "I had fished out there with John last year, and we we caught a couple decent fish." He's like, "But this trip, he's like." we got our shit kicked in. He's like, they just, they just weren't there. Like, obviously they were there, but we either couldn't find them or we could not get them to bite for some reason. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like their, their story is a lot more realistic than, you know, some of these other guys who go out there and, and drop uh, a 60 pound bag and post about it. You're like, ah, yeah, that's, that's going to happen, but it's, it's once in a blue moon. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be quite a bit of, uh, getting lucky out there because like i said if you're not on those specific waypoints yeah. uh, you're just shot in the dark no matter where you're at on the lake it it really is a needle in a haystack the whole place looks like a haystack it's it's just bushes for miles too so and it's deep you know there's uh there's trees down in 80 70 feet of water that i'm sure the biggest bass in that lake sits on and he's never yeah. gonna see a bait because no one's gonna fish for him so yeah there's someone will catch a 20 out of there i'm sure in the next few years if not bigger you know someone will probably bust a 24 or something out of there it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to see a fish of that caliber come out of there so yeah so you got some dumb people out there catching some really big fish so <laughs> It, it's just a matter of time until the right guy gets out there and gets lucky and smashes yeah. the jungle. So, yeah, dude, it's cool. I, it's three and a half hours from here, so so it's not something I hit or plan to hit. Right. Ton, but I'll, yeah. I'll probably go there one more time, pre-spawn or something. And yeah, threw a swim bait around quite a bit in that lake, and I, I had one follower, I think, that whole trip. So I'm yeah. not sure it's necessarily a swim bait lake, but I could be wrong. Matt, uh, Matt caught his good fish on a glide bait, 
and he kind of told me the story, and I, I'm hesitant to say it because I don't know if he's posted about it yet, especially when this episode drops, but, like, he told me the story behind it, and he worked this fish for, like, four or five minutes, like, doing a very odd technique, and he's like, this fish just finally ate, and uh, I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, like, I, would, I would not have worked that hard for that fish, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a bite to be had on a swim bait out there i'm i'm sure of it but the thing is it's god i'm scared to throw the bait i want to throw in there because it's like like i'm pretty sure i could beat up some fish on a soft bait out there but like i want to throw some certain soft baits that i don't want to (laughs) lose and like you're gambling dude throwing a soft bait down there anywhere in that like there's just so many trees and people's braided line all over everything and yeah it's i don't know if you got a lot of money and a bunch of swim baits i mean (laughs) i would go out there and throw a soft bait around but i'm not prepared to lose eight magnums in a day so yeah dude piss on that it's it's a cool lake though i definitely i want to put some more time in on it and i'll catch one out of there eventually i mean a lot of it's a timing thing too that lake seems to be a lake that fish is like shit for a month and then all of a sudden everyone catches a 10 so yeah right there's a lot of people out there that's the other thing i was shocked man like there was four different guide services out there the day we were there and um probably 60 70 boats so it gets hammered now <laughs> it, it's days are numbered in, in terms of dumb fish those fish are catching on quick so we we were ignored by so many big fish that trip. Like that last day where we had kind of found them, you could watch them on the live scope. You'd you'd pull like thirty different baits past them, and they would just eh, they'd look at it and then just keep swimming and go the other way. Like they are getting smart quick. <laughs> so those days yeah. are numbered. <laughs> yeah. Have uh you you talked about fishing fishing the soft baits out in Arizona? Have you been able to kind of transfer that to these lakes in Texas, or have you had to change up to more of a hard bait glide bait approach for these fish? Um, right now the lakes that I swim bait fish on, yeah, it's basically the same thing as Arizona. I'm just dragging soft baits, you know. That's I think that applies to a lot of places. The fish just move deeper. Um, and you just gotta drag something slow and sexy in front of them and then hope they bite i've just had some shit luck honestly it, i dumped another absolute giant on uh saturday i went out and the bites are few and far between right now i i'm sure half of it deals with me not knowing the right areas to be in but i i am confident in this one spot i know there's fish there i've dumped quite a few big fish there recently I went back on Saturday and just dragging a magnum and uh or a, a hog hunter and um they yeah I, I threw it out I got like this weird mushy bite dragging it on bottom I didn't know if it was a bite it didn't feel like it but it kind of did like I like half set the hook and then kept reeling and I felt like another little tick and I wasn't sure if I was just hitting some treetops down there or what was going on. It just didn't feel like a bite. So I, like, kind of reeled my bait in real quick to, like, recast it uh, and kind of hit it at a better angle and, and see if that was, in fact, a bite. 
And as I'm reeling it in, uh, I had a fish that was probably nine or ten pounder just right on it. I was burning it in. <laughs> she like tried to swipe at it at the boat. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I should have not reeled that in so fast. I should have just yeah. let it sit there for a second. And oddly enough, I flipped that soft bait right back out and she eats it again. Like, which is bizarre because, you know, I've had a couple weird things happen in Texas. Like, these fish, uh, some of them do shit you would never see an, an Arizona fish do. Like, that. Like, that fish came in, saw me, saw the boat, turned around and ran the other way. And I flipped it back out and she ate it again. Um, and I've had that happen a few times since I've lived here. Where in Arizona, that fish you wouldn't have even seen it. Like it wouldn't have gotten that close to the boat. Yeah. Uh, let alone turn around and eat your bait again. <laughs> right. Well, she eats it the second time and I bury the hook in her and get her to the surface and she jumps and spits it. And, um, Fuck, dude, I was heartbroken by that. Cause she was giant and I had two shots at her and biffed it on both. So, um, yeah, I've had some unfortunate, luck like that since i've moved here i've dumped i can't complain i've I've had run-ins with fish that are big you know but I've, I've dumped three or four that were well over 10 since i lived here so it hurts but eventually one will get in the boat i'm not not too worried about it right uh two questions for you we'll go off the first one first for your big soft baits are you what kind of modifications are you doing? I can't imagine you're just doing a jig hook, are you? You're probably doing some sort of trouble hook on the back, or h- how do you go about that? God, man, that one that I've been, that one hog hunter that I've been fishing, I, I am fishing just a jig hook. Cause, really? Yeah, I've had, I mean, it's not a huge bait. It's not the full-size mag. It's the oh, next Oh, okay, okay. Um. Which in theory, you know, every other bait that I fish like that, I don't need anything other than a jig hook. But my God, I I have such bad luck with that. <laughs> just a jig hook. So I did. I have another one that I rig um, with just a quad on the back, no jig yep. hook. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, it it seems to just snag like crazy with that quad on the back. I believe that. Uh, so that's why I'm hesitant to cut the jig hook off this one that they are biting really well because I can get it to come through a lot of stuff really clean. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm dumping half the fish that bite it. So it's kind of like yeah. a no-win situation. I'm screwed no matter what I do with it. Um, but that's just that specific bait. I mean, with with the full-size hog hunter, the trout, like I, I still fish that with a, a stinger, a quad on the back, and and the jig hook, um, and then yeah, there's nothing really changed with that. But yeah, I've been f- trying to fish the battle shads a lot more. Um, I don't know. I'm just having shit luck with that. <laughs> I've dumped so many big fish this year. I don't know what's going on, but it's uh. It happens, dude. It's with swim baiting. I don't know what it is, but it, it seems like you go through these slumps oh, of like yeah, either it's like, like baseball, it's like batting. Yeah, it's just something that happens, and that's something that I've learned over the last 13, 14 years of going big baits. It's like 
these slumps just happen, you know, and all you can do is keep casting. And like eventually it turns around. The worst year I ever had, like swim baiting in Arizona was kind of like this. It was just like I had shots at big fish, but I was just eating shit left and right, skunking, dumping them, whatever. And then I went out one day and I caught to this day, I think what might be one of the biggest limits anyone's ever caught in Arizona by themselves. I mean, I caught 38 pounds in two hours of fishing solo. Um, it just, the, the slump came to a screeching halt and I whacked the Christ out of them. And then I got right back on the saddle after that. Like I had that pick me up. It caught 38 pounds and went out and just started beating the shit out of them again. And like, that just seems to be something that happens with swim bait fishing. Like I have these slumps of just sucking and then it turns around and it usually for whatever reason starts with like one banner day. Like you just crush them and it's, it's like your confidence comes back. You, you feel completely sure about everything you do on the water and you just get back on the saddle and start beating them up again. Until you don't, <laughs> you go through the slump again. But yeah, yeah. I, the whole swim bait thing—it's a lot of people really try to break it down and make it a science. And it's like, dude, so much of it is just chance, luck, time on the water, and keeping at it. Like that's the biggest thing. Just keep going, man. So that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to fight yeah. through this slump. I'm in and waiting for that one day to pick me back up and put me back on them. So it'll happen. Just spending yeah. the time out there. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah, dude, for sure. Do you think that this, um, when, when you get established in Texas and if the fishing stays like it has been for the last year for you, do you think it could be as good as you had it in Arizona or do you think it's, a little bit lower tier than, than what you had had going in like that 2016, 17 year. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm a hundred percent sure that that's possible out here. Yeah. I don't think catching a 38 pound limit by myself is out of reach here at all. Like I'm sure I will have a year out here where I catch. Yeah. That 2016, I, I caught five or six double digits in the span of four months or something like that, which was like the best I've ever done as far as big fish um, with a ton of eight, nine pounders mixed in. And I, yeah, a hundred percent that'll happen out here. It's, that's one of those things. Like once I figure out where I need to be, when I need to be there, once all the, all the pieces line up, that's very, very doable out here more so than anywhere. I think. Right. Because those fish are just everywhere. So I think a lot of it's going to come down to finding fish that aren't so heavily beat on, too. You know, you got that's the other thing about Texas, man. You got so many good fishermen out here. More, yeah. We have more fishermen in Texas than I think anywhere else in the country. So they get picked on pretty hard, but. Um, yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask next was um, you talked about <clears throat> dropping 38 pounds alone and stuff. 
is and obviously you talked about the fishing pressure is uh is there a lot of guys like doing the same thing you're trying to replicate in texas as far as like the big softies and stuff go or, or at least at least in your area of texas have you ran into anybody like that on the water um yeah i know not on the water i know of a couple people that are doing it um they're doing it different than i am but set supply and but again, those are people that have been doing, have been fishing Texas for yeah, their yeah. lives. So they're doing astronomically better. <laughs> Which again, I'm trying not to beat myself up for because I know that, you know, they've got the time under their belt. They deserve it. I'm still a newbie out here. So yeah, there's there's a handful of guys, quite a few guys out here that are really hammering on them with swim baits. So. I know it's a thing, and I know it's doable. Like I said, it's just I've got to figure it out on my own. I'm not going to feel good about it if I jump on someone else's bite. So there, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, um, we you talked about getting a new boat when you went to Texas. What are you what are you fishing out of now compared to what you had out in Arizona? Oh, it's just a uh, 17 foot bass tracker. It's a lot, lot more luxurious than my boat in Arizona. I just had a, uh, like a 1448 Alumacraft Mod V, like a John boat that was decked and stuff. So out there I was in a, a much rougher rig than what I'm in now. So the fact that I was able to put the fish in that boat that I did makes me pretty confident that I can do it in the boat that I have now. Cause I'm sitting a lot more comfortably, um, and I I've got live scope now, which I guess helps. I mean, it's I can't catch fish that I see on that thing for shit. Like everyone talks about, you know, scoping fish and how it's cheating. I'm like, oh, I've caught like four bass on that thing that I saw on the screen, like eat my bait. Like it's it's not as easy as it sounds. They uh. It might be the most frustrating technology I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I believe every day, every goddamn day, swim up to it, look at it, swim the other way. Window fishing for bass. That's pretty much what I think of it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good technology. Like I said, it really helps when lining up your casts and, and breaking down spots, um, cuts a huge piece out of that learning curve that in Arizona took me years to learn how, how to fish a spot. I can learn in two hours with live scope, just go around, point it, look at every single ledge, find out where it is, drop marks, look at where the trees are. So it really, really cuts down on the, the, the time spent learning a spot for sure. Right. So yeah, it'll, this, this rig will have some, serious fish in it i'm sure in the next few years so are you predominantly or are you have you figured out a hard bait bite or are you still kind of predominantly uh soft bait fishing while you're out there um right now i'm soft bait fishing because that's just if the water's cold and that's what they want i mean they're lethargic and they're deeper so it's easier to present a soft bait to them um but right now i'm struggling so (laughs) before um i started the struggle but i was on a tear with them in october to end of november 
Um, and that was all on, on hard baits. They were just crushing glides. So I think that was mostly due to them being shallower, less than 15 feet of water and the gizzards were spawning. So they were on gizzards that were shallow and, um, that 250 man, it just did work on them. I, I hadn't thrown a 250 a ton in the last few years. I just haven't really had the need to out in Arizona. It hasn't been a good bait for me. So I broke it out of its package again for a bit and um, started crushing them on it. And all those fish I caught were on the on the 250 and uh, hey, a couple on the soft baits too, but almost all of them on the glide. So that was the summer too. It was all on the glide. I mean, when they were on that, that deep shelf, you know, bluff walls and all that fun stuff, they were eating the glide really well in the summer too. Uh, but that was another bite that I found pretty late. Like it was the same as the one in the fall. Like I found that bite at the tail end of it. So I came across those fish in the summer and I only had like, maybe a month to play with those fish. And then they were gone because they started their fall transition and moving. And then I didn't find them again for another month and a half, two months, three months, found them. And by the time I found them, they were already kind of finishing up where, where they were like that. I probably caught them right at the tail end of that fall bite too. Yeah. And now, now they're gone again. And now I'm trying to find them again. And now I kind of know where some are, and I'm sure by the time I start catching those fish again, they'll move. So it's this constant cat and mouse. I'm just chasing them around, trying to learn their their patterns and where they are. But yeah, the hard bait was the best for me since I've lived here. Pretty much all my good fish since I've been here have been on the hard bait. If they were on a swim bait, I've caught a bunch of good frog fish and conventional stuff too, but... Yeah, I, ideally, like this time next year, you should have an idea of where and how those fish are setting up, and you should be pretty, pretty uh, confident, right? Or do you think they're going to move around a lot more than than what you think they are? No, I'm absolutely confident that 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 stuff will transfer over. I, it was just, yeah, this is my year of learning as much as I can, so yeah. I I at least have starting points for next year. Yep. But like I said, winter, I still don't have anything strong yet. I've moved a couple big fish, dumped a couple big fish, but not a ton. Like, so it's, uh, I still have quite a bit to learn about this winter pattern. Like I said, I'll probably figure it out with like a week left and then they'll move. But spring, I don't know yet. We're going to find out. I have pretty good idea of where they're, I mean, spring is, yeah, they move shallow. So it shouldn't be too hard to find them the spring they're pretty grouped up and they all yeah. go into those little spawning pockets and those secondary points so i should be able to find them in pre-spawn and spawn um it's post-spawn who knows i'll have to find them again but yeah it's it's just learning putting in your time yeah those uh those when you were catching the fish on the 250 how do you how do you like to present the 250 is if like you could uh if you could mock up a fish to eat how you like to fish the 250 how would that go and then how are they eating it this year for you um well the way i 
fish glides in general is really aggressively like oh dude we're two peas in the same pod yeah i've always been a power fisherman like that's why i know i'm not a great soft bait fisherman is like because i still but the thing is with soft baits too i mean they eat it going fast it just has to stay down so you just have to stuff a bunch of weight in it but yeah i mean with glides i'm uh, i'm almost always fishing that thing fast so the way they were set up in the fall was great because they were shallow and they were eating it quick so it was burn 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 pause burn 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 pause and then they'd crush it um so that that was pretty much the ideal scenario for me because that's how i like to fish it's fast cover water burn bank and uh it worked so that's my favorite way to fish man i I fish glides outrageously fast. Yeah, so. I I always say I I fish them just like a jerk bait, like bam bam. Wait a second or two, bam 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 bam. And oh my gosh, there's just there's nothing better than than going to real turn and your rod just load up because there's a fish already swimming away with it in its mouth. Like that is just the best feeling ever. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's and like when I say I'm fishing it fast, I mean it's never more than a foot under the surface. So when it's moving that quick typically it's waking i mean i'm moving it real quick yeah. so the, the best part about that is when they hit it they usually hit it up really really fast and upwards so yeah it's pretty much it's like top water when they hit it i mean they almost always come out of the water with it when they whack it so yeah that's probably why i like it so much <laughs> it's so exciting one thing I've been running a little study here. So you like to fish your stuff super fast, same as me. Have you done well on a wake bait? Like, have you caught lots of fish on a wake bait, or like, no, not really. Wake bait. Uh uh-uh. uh Dude, no. I okay, probably, probably consider myself bad at wake bait fishing. I I don't even like doing it. I have such little confidence in it, but. I'm not sure why. <laughs> you guys, okay, you guys are hearing this first. Grady Cod and Adrian Dean are the same exact person. We like to fish our glide baits super fast, and we suck ass at wake bait fishing because, dude, I, for the life of me, I, I can't even catch fish on a G2 shell cracker. Like, I don't know what it is, and I've kind of narrowed it down, and some of the other people that listen to the show have narrowed it down, like, oh, maybe you're just fishing too fast. And I'm like, really? Because I feel like I'm fishing super fucking slow when I'm fishing a wake bait. And like, I like, I have no confidence in a wake bait at all. And so it's funny, it's funny you say that. I just, this is like a little running experiment I have going on when people say they like to fish and glide bait super fast. Yeah, I mean, it, that could change so fast. I'm sure if I went out with someone who was like, oh, you got to come out with me, man. They are crushing the wake bait. And I went out and I caught a bunch of good fish that day on a wake bait. I'm sure I would fish a wake bait more. I honestly, the, I'm positive that the reason I don't like fishing a wake bait is because I just haven't had a day like that yet. Like, I don't put the time in with it because I don't have the confidence in it. And that's, the, that's every single form of bass fishing in a nutshell. Like until you force yourself to do it and become adequate with it and then have a great day on it, you're not really going to like doing it. Like anybody could be a good wake bait fisherman, you know, it's just a matter of putting the time in and then hopefully having a good day. 
Because once you have a good day on any bait, dude, it's all you want to throw. Like, so, I mean, I've caught plenty of, of ratfish, you know, like that's, I love fishing a rat in the moonlight or for smallmouth or whatever. It's so much fun when they're crushing it, but there's, for whatever reason, like I have one of those new tactical wakes, um, river to sea. And yeah. that thing flew better than any wake I've ever thrown by a mile. And I, 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 I don't know. I can't get bit on it. I cannot get bit on it. Um, but I guarantee you, if this summer I just left every other rod at home, took that thing out, spent a full day on the water with it, and caught a big one, I would, I would be way more into throwing it. Yeah. I just I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's it's fucking it's weird. I don't know. Well, it is. It's hard to slow down and fish awake. I mean, it's yeah. When all you like doing is you know burning glides or whatever, it's hard to like throw a wake out there and just click 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 slowly let that thing come back. And most, if not ninety percent, of my ratfish have been working that thing like uh, walk the dog. You know, right? Yeah, like a big spook. Chunk, chunk, let it sit, chunk, chunk, like, that's, that's the way they like eating it, so, it's, again, it's probably why I don't throw it enough, yeah, boring. I'm, I'm gonna have to mess around with it more in the springtime, because, like, I, I want to fish bad bunny so bad, because it's so loud, and I think I can catch fish on it, but it's like, fuck, like, I have, I have zero to no confidence on it. Well, like, anything that's that loud, there's no confidence in anything loud. That's that's why I throw the uh, Johnny Rat almost exclusively if I'm throwing a wake. So that thing is light as a feather, barely makes a noise when it hits the surface, and it just Super quietly slinks across. Yeah, when you fish anywhere clear, smart, clear water, smart fish, big fish, you learn quickly that noise is not good. <laughs> like I. I will not throw something. I don't know what a bad bunny is, but if it's loud, there's a, I'll never throw it. Like, yeah. I just have, uh-uh. I have no confidence in catching a double-digit fish on something that loud. Um, I, love, I don't I'll even throw rattle traps with rattles in them. I only throw silent rattle traps. Like really? People swim, and I will not throw it. I like the thud, the six-sense quake thud with the single finger in it is as loud as I will go. That's it. Really? Dude, a fish down there who's seen everything his whole life with 10 pounds, if he yeah. something coming by him screaming through with rattles in it, like, yeah, you might catch some fish on the Delta or something doing that shit, but you're, you're not going to catch me dead throwing anything with rattles. Like, fish, big fish, no. They're, they're keen to the game. Yeah. Uh, when when we're done with this, I'll send you a video of uh, like one of Marshall's videos of the Bad Bunny dude. This thing is obnoxiously loud. Like it's like, oh, my microphone won't even pick it up. But like clicking your tongue, like that's dude. It is so loud. It's just literally wood knocking on wood, and it's like wow. Like that thing is obnoxious. But um, one people thing, love it, man. I mean, some people do good on that. Like, yeah, I'm not um, one of <laughs> what They're one thing like. Uh, so the clear water fish up here in Michigan, like I- I've talked about it a lot. These Lake Michigan fish, like super, super clear water. 
And these fish are like just, I don't know, maybe they're overly aggressive and they're just like just foaming at the mouths to eat stuff. But like, uh, like red red eye rattle trap, like I've caught so many fish yo-yoing that, and then like even just glide baits, like like the taxi trout, the big, what is it, ten, eleven inch taxi trout. Like obviously it doesn't have any knockers or anything, but like I fish that thing stupid quick, and fish come up from eighteen feet of water, come all the way up to a foot and a half and they will just clobber that thing up on the surface. And it's like these fish, like obviously I've only ever caught fish in Michigan like this. So I don't have anything to base it off of, but like, I can't imagine clear water fish that are scared. Like, like you've been describing because from all my experiences, these fish are like cannibalistic. They are just ready to snap at anything they see. So when guys talk about like super, uh, frugal clear water fish, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like that is so shitty that you guys have experienced that and not been able to like, see like these fish here and like how aggressive they are because it is like it's sharks in the water dude it is so crazy oh yeah i believe it i mean yeah i would never tell you to not throw something that they're biting <laughs> if they're biting it by all means keep throwing it it's just like from where i come from it's yeah. it's a confident thing it's so hard to wrap my brain around putting any extra hardware or noise or clanking i don't even like joints on baits that have like stainless steel wire anything that squeaks when that yeah yeah squeaks like no i i i just i can't do it man i have no confidence in it i need it to be as close as possible to the real thing which means no noise no noise <laughs> yeah i think the 250 works so well all over the world i mean it's it is a glide bait that has zero noise coming out of it unless you fish the new ones right with the the springy thing but even then that's not really noisy it's more like a, a vibration yeah spring so yeah it's everyone's got their own their own thing i know dudes that do really well on on loud top waters like uh the uh i don't know if you remember wooden swim baits i don't know if they still make baits um but they make rats or they made rats and they were always very adamant about making their rats as loud as they could. Uh And I've had, you know, dudes with me up in the Northeast where I love fishing a rat at night, um, up in Maine and Pennsylvania and Massachusetts. Like you go and, and fish rats up there and, I've had buddies on my boat throwing that super obnoxious wooden swim baits rat and they'll just crush them right next to me. You know, it's the same amount that I'm catching. Uh, but yeah, you throw that thing down here in Arizona or I don't know what the hell Texas fish do. I haven't really played with a wake out here yet, but yeah, California, Arizona, you wouldn't be caught dead. No. So it's, it's interesting. It's a geographical thing. It's amazing how fish react to everyone differently all over the country so yeah and that's like it's funny because i couldn't i could not move to to where you have described with with the dirty water where you're at in texas because dude like even just the sign of less than we'll say six foot visibility i'm like i'm quaking in my boots i'm like well how the hell am I, how the hell are they, these fish gonna gonna see my glide bait like I'm, I'm gonna have to run into one to catch one and that's like that's where all my confidence goes out the door. Confidence goes out the door because all I've ever known is either, you know, 20 foot visibility, Lake Michigan or 
you know, we'll say 12 foot visibility in the rivers. Like I've, I've been very spoiled yeah. as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a learning curve in this regard too, with the muddy water. I mean, it's not all lakes, all the lakes aren't muddy, but, um, the majority around my house are. Yeah. I mean, I think like the lake I live on this summer, I saw at in spots like three or four feet visibility, which is would cry. clear enough for me <laughs> to throw a golf bait. I honestly, in my opinion, the best water clarity for a glide bait and really any swim bait for that matter is like six, six to seven feet is where I feel the most comfortable fishing swim baits. Any less than that, eh, the muddier it gets, the less confidence I have. The clearer it gets, I have full confidence that the fish are going to see it, but then it's a matter of, am I going to be able to trick that fish because he can see everything. Like in Arizona, we had some gin clear water. You'd see 60, 70 feet deep just like up in, you know, Huron, yeah. Michigan, whatever. But um, those fish, we would see a lot of them, but catch. My little, uh, my, my robot stopped recording again, unfortunately, for some odd reason. But we were just kind of talking about like the clear waters and stuff. But one thing I wanted to ask Grady before we closed it down was, so you kind of grew up on the on the east side. And so... I mean, anybody who scrolls through your page is going to see a lot of musky and like lake trout and stuff. So have you been able to get on a lot of musky with, with swim bait fishing as far as like certain swim baits and stuff go? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Up in, up in the Northeast, uh, I don't spend a ton of time with it, even in recent years up there um, fishing for musky. I've fished pike and stuff with them up there and do really well. But with musky, I uh, I don't tend to throw that stuff. It's it's not that they won't eat it because they definitely will. Um, there's just things I'd rather be throwing for muskies. So ninety uh, percent of the time, if I can get away with throwing a blade bait, you know, a double cowgirl or a pulsator or rolling thunder, whatever, I'll I'll be throwing that just because the way they hit it is breathtaking and I enjoy it. Um, and if it's colder weather, I'll be fishing baits that you can really fish differently than swim baits, like the Medusas or the Bulldogs, big rubber baits, um, because they're huge, they're extremely colorful and they can be worked in a way that swim baits just can't be. So over there, I don't throw swim baits really if I'm on a musky trip. Um, out on the West Coast, fishing for tiger muskies. It's a huge component of what I do for tigers, mostly because they are completely different animals than purebred muskies. Um, they are very keen to eating swim baits, especially with the clear water. Uh, they really like natural, subtle presentations. They don't. They weren't as excited about eating a big blade bait or a loud, colorful rubber bait. They just loved that natural swimming action the quiet no noise they're very keen to eat that stuff so on the west coast fishing tigers 100 percent love throwing swim baits for them on the east coast no not really but tigers are like i said 
very, very different than purebred muskies. So yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I'd seen, I was like scrolling through your Instagram, and I had seen, uh, I, was it a hog hunter that was in a lake trout's mouth? Sure. Yeah. Is is that something that you do a lot, or was that kind of a unicorn of a catch? You were just messing around and happened to catch one. No, they eat swim baits up there. Um, it's more of like, uh, do you want to lose it? Because it's pretty easy to lose them up there. So you're you're fishing. Like I think that particular fish was 119, 120 feet deep. So it's it's not like you can just pop your bait right out when you snag up down there it's typically on downrigger cables and stuff that it's just extremely hard to get your bait out of and yeah yeah there's better ways to target them but yeah i i I fish them quite a bit i just got back from there uh last week i was up there the first uh, i guess it was the first week of january we were up there breaking through the ice trying to catch them um so those are easily top three favorite fish to catch in freshwater absolutely love chasing those big lake trout um that lake is on a decline as well right now there's just low water and low kokanee salmon populations so hopefully i'm thinking this year we might get a couple good days um we should do a couple trips probably this summer and beat the christ out of them but it's on a downhill slide so we're trying to get as much time in with those fish as we can but yeah uh, I, you can catch the snot out of those fish on glide baits, casting and stuff at certain times yeah. of the year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just when I'm there, I like to maximize my chances um, because I'm only there for a couple weeks out of the year, maybe. So, it's typically not uh, a swim bait thing. If I catch the fish that I want to catch early on in the trip, then I'll happily experiment with with throwing all that other stuff and see if I can up my odds. But yeah, the, a lot of it is is not swim bait related. Um, you certainly can. I mean, w- when we were out there, we saw guys out there. It's like negative fifteen degrees, and they're out there chucking glides. Uh, they didn't. I'm sure they didn't catch anything because it's not the time for it. But you know, you, you can definitely beat up on them if you want to certain times of the year. Spring, yeah. summer is a good time to do it. I I have missed some absolute massive lake trout fishing Lake Michigan with like a, a big soft bait and an underspin underneath it. Like, dude, they'll come up and they'll T-bone that thing. And like, I'm in such awe that I either just miss the hook set or I just don't do it at all. Like, I'm just watching these fish eat my baits. And Oh, I've, had come up and, I've had them come up and check out crank downs too. And it's, it's, it's an experience to be fishing a crank down in like 18 feet of water, getting it down to 10 foot and like visibly being able to see these fish, like rush right up to it. And then just like, just slow swim right behind this bait. And you were just like itching at the bit to, to sweep into one of these fish. And I think, uh, our fish here are eating a lot of alewives, which are like I'm I'm not sure if you guys have them, but they're like three inch, little shit bait fish, more or less. They they bundle up. Oh in no, yeah. we got them up in Maine. Yeah, yeah. And so these fish, they're easy to catch when they're out in Lake Michigan, but when they start to get in the channels and into the lakes and stuff, it's I think it's probably a little bit harder to catch. Like a lot of guys will throw liplesses and, and jerk baits and stuff and catch them, but to be able to have them come up check out and check out like six, seven, eight inch swim baits it's like holy shit it's like it's so badass to see and 
I really want to catch one super bad because I think it'd be super easy. You just gotta you gotta find one to uh, to actually take on your bait. I've caught some coho this uh, this fall on the tiny clash, and that was a lot of fun. But I want to tango with a lake trout for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the biggest part of that is their forage. You know, what are they chasing and what are they actively eating? Because a lot of times they won't deviate from that forage whatsoever. The same way bass, smallmouth, you know, when they're on alewise, it is tough to get them to eat anything other than something that looks just like an alewife. Like they get very keyed in on bait. So uh, I guess the biggest thing would be trying find out when those fish are targeting i don't know if you have like cisco's or what you guys have up there but yeah we have cisco yeah is find out when they're eating those and just find out how deep they are i mean there's yeah hog hunter makes some absolutely beautiful kokanee patterns that especially in that x minnow is a great bait to present to a lake trout that's eating cisco's or even bigger alewives but um yeah, man, the thing with lake trout is if they're eating big stuff, like, the hardest thing is just getting a bait to them. Because a lot of times, you're going to need to downrig for them because they are really deep. Like, the majority of the lake trout that we catch out here are going to be deeper than 80 feet. Like, almost 100% of the time. Uh, so it's not easy to present baits to them when they're that deep, unless yeah. you're running behind uh, a downrigger, which is the majority of what we do. You can you can present any bait that swims at 1.9, 2.3 miles per hour. Yeah. Um, as long as you can keep it on, you know, run stacker clips, keep it above the bottom just enough that it's not smashing into shit. Um, but yeah, it, it's just. God, if you can find them when they're shallow and they're eating bigger bait, you can catch them on a lot of different swim baits. There isn't, they don't make a swim bait too big for lake trout. The fuckers will eat insanely large meals. Like, it is my biggest lake trout ever. It was 38, somewhere around 38 pounds. She or he, um, I was bringing her up off the bottom. As soon as I got to see her, it was 50 feet down. I saw color, saw the fish. I'm fighting him, fighting him. And he just comes up, and there's a fish trying to eat the fucker, right? And he's so crazy. fighting the shit out of this thing. I'm like, oh, my God. And this fish was massive. Um, he's trying to eat a damn near 40-pound lake trout. So we dropped a, a, a waypoint on that fish, went back to it in the morning, and our buddy Mike was there, and he caught her. She was the state record, so holy we, shit. we got to see him catch that fish. I mean, that fish was <laughs> trying to snap at a forty-pound laker. So, yeah, there's there's no bait that anyone makes that's too big for him, honestly. And I, you guys have big ones in Michigan. I got a couple buddies who've caught some big fish out there. So, yeah, you could go out there and and God, I don't know. Do you have a boat? No, I don't, unfortunately, but I have a lot of people that have boats. <laughs> well, get out there with a buddy that's got downriggers, and even if you're running at mid-water column, so you're not on bottom, you, you still have a good chance. Go troll a, the biggest glide bait you have out there. You'll you'll smash one. It's As long as there's a, a lake trout out there eating bigger bait, you have a chance. So, like I said, there's, there's nothing that you can throw for them that's too big. They are insane. 
Yeah, I had a couple uh, buddies who are pretty well-known charter captains, and I remember when I got my Hinkle Trout, they were like trying to beg me to drop that thing down on the downrigger. And I'm like, I waited like nine months for this bait. We are not dropping it down like 240 feet. We, I'm sorry, we are just not doing that. I paid way too much money for this bait right now to do that. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't throw anything down there you're not ready to lose. That's for sure. But you can throw a lot of the people out here that catch them on swim baits aren't throwing very expensive stuff. They're, they're throwing stuff they're prepared to lose. A lot of Savage Gear glides people do well on. Um the MS Slammer is one of the most popular baits to downrig. Really? For sure. Probably is the most. Yeah, that's definitely the most popular swim bait to troll. So that's that's a huge one. Yeah, we actually saw Mike out there, Mike Shaw, when we were there a couple of weeks ago. He lives out there and trolls for lake trout with his baits. So. Damn, that is freaking sick. Um, oh, yeah. One thing I was going to ask you. Oh, we uh, so they kind of, before they really start to push up into the rivers and lakes and stuff. They'll push up on these big gravel piles in like 60 foot of water right on the edge of the pier heads. And mm-hmm. I think like you could go out there and you could drag something over those pier heads. And I think you could absolutely smack them because guys do it with spoons. And I think if you did it with like a crank down or obviously something that you can get down there, like I, like you said, I don't think that there's a thought in my mind that they wouldn't eat that for sure. Oh, just go throw us. Throw a 68 special. Throw an 8-inch HUD. He'll crush the shit out of it. They don't have to be that big to hit it. You'll, you'll catch a ton of 5-6 to six pounders on those baits. So, yeah, just go out and throw some cheaper. Savage Gear makes that pulse tail trout, I think it's called. I think they're not too expensive. Um, the line through, pulse tail, whatever it's called. Yep. That would be a great bait to go drag over the rock piles. Yeah, I've seen I've seen videos of those fish setting up on those little gravel patches. Um those are super catchable fish but are they spawning when they're i can't remember if they're spawning on those or not so they might be the i don't know i've never actually done it but i know that they'll push up there and sit on those gravel piles i i'm sure it's probably just because that's like the warm spots if there's not like a discharge anywhere around and then they kind of start to progress through pushing up into the rivers and stuff so Probably mm. up in the air. I'm sure some of them are, and then I'm sure some of them are just kind of using that a pit stop before they get into the pier heads and into that lake water. But I fuck, I don't know, dude. Like, there's so many. Like you, you talked about there being so many fish in Texas in the lakes that you fish. Like, that's how it is. Like fishing the waters connected to Lake Michigan. Like there's just a whole slur of stuff that can eat your bait, and it's like, well. I'm fishing for this thing, but I had no idea that this thing was pushing into spawn. Like, I, I'm sorry I caught it like that, but that's just how it works. Sure. No, the reason I ask if they're spawning is it just becomes harder to catch them. But, yeah, they'll, uh, God, just go out there and chuck a soft bait out on those gravel piles. I mean, just zero doubt in my mind that you'll catch some fish doing it. It's yeah, just dude. a matter of doing it. I'm just going to go yeah. out and just tie on a silvery-colored soft bait, something that stays down. Just drag it over that shit. You'll catch him. Hell yeah, dude. Um, one thing before we close it down, what what's the gear that uh, that you're opting into fish for for your Texas fish? What what kind of rods and reels and line and stuff are you using? Um, for rods, it's all Leviathan rods. I've been partnered with Leviathan for like two or three years now, so they are just the pinnacle of of perfection when it comes to the swim bait rod. I don't know if you've gotten to fish them or not, but they are absolutely stunning. So for the most part, I'm 
if I'm fishing glides, I'm running the uh, extra heavy Omega. Um, and then uh, for soft baits, they're on the Alpha Soft Swim, I think it's called. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, I have a, a rod for everything. If I'm throwing like an HPH or a lighter bait, I'm throwing it on the medium heavy or the heavy. And then for everything, yeah, I got a rod for damn near every technique at this point. So, yeah, I really, really advise anyone who's looking for any swim bait gear to go check out Leviathan rods because, man, they, they are good people and they have a lot of good shit. So always, always a good company to support. Yeah, um, you do you have a code or anything for anybody to use? Yeah, I believe it's Grady Twenty. Let me double check. Yeah, so if you guys are sick of using the Scales and Tails Twenty code, use Grady Twenty. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna double check it right now. It is yeah, Grady Twenty, all caps. Perfect. I'll put that in the description. Um, as far as with your reels, do you have a Leviathan? Yeah. Do you have a preference on reels? Shimano, Daiwa, other Abu, maybe? <laughs> mm, I don't. God, not really. I mean, for soft baits, I'm I'm always pretty partial to the uh, tranks, the Shimano tranks, the 301 and the 401. They're just bulletproof and. They're really good for slow dragon baits. Um, so I've pretty much always run my soft baits on that that reel. Um, and then, yeah, for hard baits, because I'm fishing them so fast, I'm, I throw the uh, Abu Garcia Toro uh, Rocket, the red one. Oh, the, the red 40, one. Yeah. yeah, the 41 Rocket, because um, that I think it's an 11-speed reel or something like that 10 speed reel so you can just cover water quick with like minimal effort with that reel so that's what i throw my hard baits on primarily the 250 i've been through, um i got uh the scorpion monster drive 301 yeah the jdm reel i snagged that last year really liked that reel uh it's it's a great price too. I mean, that it's basically a tranks that's just upgraded and it still comes out to be cheaper. So yeah, if you want to jump on Amazon or eBay, I think they still have them for a damn good price. I think I paid one ninety five or something for it brand new um, from Japan. So that's a good reel to check out for sure. I really like that. I spent a lot of time with that uh, last year. So that's a cool reel line. Um, man, I have had so many different experiences with line. I, I still don't know if I have a favorite. I, I run pretty much everything uh, on fluorocarbon. I don't fish copoly unless I'm fishing like the really, really big stuff. Then I throw it on like 30, 40 pound um, Iser line, triple X, I think it is. Uh, it's a copoly. And then, uh, but glides, soft baits, uh, 20 pound Seaguar and Vizx is what I've been fishing the last few years. And that's done really well. I haven't had break-offs or really anything bad to say about it. So, and Vizx has been pretty good. It's not badly priced either. I mean, some people, I, I like Tatsu a lot. Tatsu, if you have 
a couple extra bucks is definitely the superior line. Um, yeah. But if you go through line as much as I do, then yeah, Invisex is a great option because Tatsu is super nice for drop shot leaders. Like if you guys are in the north, northeast, and are drop shotting a lot, Tatsu is like super nice. It won't kill you to run twelve feet a, a leader line Tatsu because that'll last you a while. But swimming right. fish is a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, because I'm running a a full main line of of fluorocarbon. So some people do braid a leader for certain things, but. I do conventional, but not on uh, swim baits. Is it, I try to have as few points of failure as possible and throw in swim baits. It's just you don't want to risk it. So, yeah, I pretty much just run a 20-pound Invisex fluorocarbon uh, on all my glides and on all my soft baits. I, I bumped up the 25-pound um, uh, Sunline Shooter, I think it's called. Uh, for like the battle shads and the, yeah. the the heavier soft baits that I'm fishing and some gnarlier shit, just because it's fished on a heavier rod, you need a heavier hook set, and you're fishing it around nastier cover. So um, I bumped it up because I had some some unfortunate events with that with twenty. So, but yeah, I mean whatever works for everyone. It doesn't really matter what I say because everyone's <laughs> so line is one of those things where people are like. Preference. Yeah, they have very strong opinions on what lines are good and what's trash. Um, and everyone has different experiences. With line, it seems like a lot of people have bad experiences with, uh, like, randomly, because bad the quality control stuff. isn't quite yeah. there. You get in schools, and then people have people lose 1,250 on a Brazex, and they'll be like, oh, it's the worst line I've ever used, but... Chances are, you know, they had a bad school come from Amazon or something like that. So, yeah, it's just do whatever you want. I mean, whatever whatever works for you, I guess. But fluorocarbon, yeah. I believe, is a huge must in terms of fishing a swim bait. You need less stretch and you need uh, as minimal visibility as possible. So yeah, dude, for sure. Um, what what are your what are your socials for anybody who can follow you that they aren't already? Oh, my Instagram is Grady Cod, G-R-A-D-Y-C-O-D-D. Um, and that is all of my socials. <laughs> I just have Facebook and Instagram, and both of them are Grady Cod, so it's pretty easy. So, Perfect. Yeah, and then... Go uh, ahead. Do you have any thoughts of doing YouTube or anything, or is that just out of the picture for you? No, I, I do video filmmaking for a living so i i don't have um any desire to be doing it yeah, full time my time on the water is my time to i always film believe me it i won't fish without a camera rolling um so i yeah i'm i'm totally fine with uh with not doing youtube i mean <laughs> it's just a like I, I literally film and edit all day long every day for a living so yeah, it's just not in the cards for me to to be doing that. Not on the clock as well. Yeah, um, I don't blame you, dude. Mechanics don't work on their own cars. Carpenters don't build their own houses. Like I understand. Yeah, Trust yeah, me. Yeah, nailed it. So, yeah, but I mean, I I fully support anyone that wants to go out and and do it. I mean, it's if you can find the the patience to to take the time away from casting and and set cameras up and 
have some sort of influence on future generations, I absolutely, yeah, go for it. I think it's super cool to people that do it. My only advice is just be semi-conscious of what you're doing uh, out there in, in terms of blowing up spots and, yeah. and walls yeah. don't need to be blown up yet. I think it's important that we have some discretion left in this community because bass fishing and fishing in general is a dying sport right now with the amount of people that are uh, doing it and, and coming into it. So any way we could slow that down, <laughs> that would be great. Just anyone that's that's planning on, on filming their stuff, just try and have some discretion about it. So yeah, but, can't agree more. no problem with anybody doing it. I think it's super cool. I'm going up with uh, John B on Wednesday, actually. So I don't know if he's shooting a video with me or not, but either way, it'll be a good time. Hell yeah, dude. That'll be sick. But yeah, I will leave all your stuff uh, linked in the description for anybody who doesn't already follow you. You guys are missing out on some good stuff if you're not. I think, I want to say Marshall. Maybe it was either Marshall or Leviathan turned me onto your page. I'm like, oh shit, Like this is a guy I want on the podcast. So I'm glad we got to finally make it happen because I think this is a super good episode. And I think uh, some guys who, who are up north um, will be able to, to kind of live through your shoes of fishing Arizona in kind of that prime days and then even fishing in Georgia because that's that's something that a lot of guys don't get to experience in Georgia or not fucking Georgia Texas I don't know why it's in Georgia <laughs> I, haven't even experienced it. <laughs> I don't know why it's in Georgia that's all good dude yeah yeah I'm glad you had me on man it was good to shoot the shit for a bit dude for sure but Closing her down, uh, make sure if you guys don't already, follow Grady, of course. Like I said, his stuff will be linked in the description. Follow the podcast on Instagram, scales and tails underscore podcast. Rate the podcast if you guys haven't already on your listening platform. Five stars would be much appreciated. Last time I looked, we were at like 58 reviews on Spotify, 4.9 stars, which is pretty crazy. Um, Patreon, if you guys want some behind-the-scenes stuff, the big project we're working on right now, and then... Also, the five dollar tier is the uh, the sticker subscription, so you don't have to buy stickers anymore. It's also a dollar cheaper to do it that way too. You automatically get subscribed into the sticker, and then I'm pretty sure when you guys hear this, the the January sticker will be up for the Sly Guy Gill still. So if you guys buy one of those, you enter to win the Gill. And I think that that about wraps it up for me. So like I said, uh, Grady's Grady's Instagram page will be linked in the description, so you guys can go follow him. But other than that, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Grady, for coming on, and I will talk to you guys next time. See you guys.